Well, how's everybody doing this morning in the midst of the hustle and bustle of the season? I know it's a busy time of year, isn't it? And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in all those details. And if we're not careful, we'll wake up one morning and realize we've been robbed. <laughs> Someone stole our joy, right? Because of all the stuff that's going on. So uh, I hope this morning we're able to kind of make sure that that doesn't happen by setting our heart on the things that are most important. Um, which is actually why I wrote what I did in the back of the bulletin. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you to take that and read it this week just to be reminded of uh, where we need to set our minds and our hearts. And I think it's important for us to look at the example of Christ. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I think we would all agree that he had more to do in any given day of his life than you and I will ever know. Is that a fair statement? And yet he finished every single day knowing that he did that day just what he needed to do. He had that peace. Even when there were days, and we know there were plenty of them, when there were things left undone, right? Because there were people who went home hungry some days. There were still plenty of sick who were not healed. But yet Jesus Christ rested his head each and every night knowing that he did exactly what he needed to do even if there were things left undone. Now, wouldn't it be fantastic to have that same perspective? Well, I believe Jesus gives us an example of what it means to to live life by seeing the world with what, what I'll call a God's eye view, where the decisions and details of his day were directed by the abiding presence of, of the Holy Spirit in a manner that was consistent with God's will for his life. Ultimately, I believe that's the secret of how Jesus lived each and every day, knowing that he did exactly what he needed to do, even on those days when things were left undone. And in our passage this morning, I believe Paul gives us a picture of how this can be true in our life as well. He's already told us that it begins with an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, where his peace rules in our heart, where the word richly dwells in our mind, and where our life exalts his name. And then last week, he talked about how that relationship with Jesus Christ then impacts the details of our day, who we are as a husband and a wife, as parents, as children. As workers and employers, he just goes through the details of those most important relationships. But but let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ is going to make that kind of difference in the details of our life, is it not vitally important for us to learn how to experience his presence all throughout the day? Let me ask you that again. If Jesus is going to make that kind of difference in the details of our life, who we are as husbands and and, and fathers and mothers and wives and and children, and those are the details of our day, right? If if he's going to make that kind of a difference, isn't it important for us to learn how to experience his presence all throughout the day? Shouldn't we learn how to cultivate a heart like we see in Jesus that is sensitive 
to knowing God's will so that we faithfully walk in His ways. Well, not only is it important, I believe it's absolutely possible and given to us through Scripture as to how we live that life. And I think this morning we're going to see Paul explaining that to us as we understand what it means to walk in God's presence throughout the day. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, that's our desire as we open your word, that we understand the reality of your presence in and among us as we walk through the details of our day. How else can you impact us unless you're walking with us and in us? And so help us to just grasp that most important truth even more deeply as we open your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off last in verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And Paul is wrapping up this letter to the Colossians and giving some final thoughts before he talks specifically about some people he wants to give greetings to and from. But listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You see, Paul begins by explaining that the experience of God's presence in our daily life is found in the priority of prayer. We know that it's a priority because he says, devote yourselves. Uh, That means be persistent, to to continue in. Paul says that same kind of thing in other places. You'll remember the one in Thessalonians where he says, pray without ceasing. You see, living with a heart of prayer, as Paul repeatedly tells us, should be our primary goal. Because this is how we experience God's presence throughout the details of our day. This is the secret of how we live each day with that same peaceful assurance and knowing that we did exactly what we needed to do even on those days when things are left undone. Now, as I say that, I know that that that's a difficult concept to grasp unless unless we clarify our definition of of prayer. Because prayer is often understood to be the means by which we make requests to God for the things that we want or feel like we need, right? And so I know a lot of you finals are coming up, right? And so probably I bet one of your prayers has been, "Lord, please help me do good on this test," right? <laughs> this is a time of year when people are looking for jobs. "Lord, please help me find the right job." And we all have friends and family or or sick, or in difficult situations, then we pray, Lord, please help them as they go through that difficult time. But in our typical understanding of prayer, we make those kinds of requests to God, and then it ends there. We say amen, and we're done with the conversation. But, but I believe that what Paul is describing in our passage this morning, this, this idea of prayer is altogether different he says devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving now he says the same thing in a different way 
back in Ephesians. So we've, looked, we've done this several times, very similar uh, letters. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Notice what Paul says here as being an echo of what we just read in Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So when we think about these two connected verses, we get the idea that prayer is more of an attitude or or mindset than it is just a, a moment in time. In fact, I believe prayer is to the spiritual life as breathing is to the natural life. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. He says in Ephesians, pray at all times because like breathing, when you stop, that's not good. So pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. But, but this only makes sense if our definition moves from a, a means of making one-sided requests to that which involves more of the, the qualities of an abiding relationship. And I believe that's what Paul speaks to in our passage in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. When I read that word alert, it, it, it means to me this idea of being spiritually sensitive to see things from God's perspective. Staying alert in prayer. Seeing things from God's perspective. I think Jesus gives us an idea of what that looks like as he speaks to his disciples. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 26. Go ahead and turn to that with me. Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, a familiar verse that we've read before, but listen to this as it relates to prayer. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Jesus speaking, he says this, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. And here's why. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, what Jesus wants us to understand and the reason that the priority of prayer is so important is because on our own, in our flesh, we are weak because we can't see things that God sees very clearly. We uh, think some things are true that God knows to be false. Our flesh is weak. And apart from God, we can do nothing. We lack the resources in and of ourselves to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, we need, we depend on the Spirit who, by the way, is always willing to alert us to the pitfalls and to, the, to remind us of what is true. You remember back in our study of Colossians, Paul said earlier in the letter that we pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will with what? All spiritual wisdom and understanding. Having an attitude of prayer means that we recognize our dependence upon God. And we consistently, throughout the day, 
turn to Him for guidance. Learning to view life from God's perspective. The truth is, only the Spirit of God can alert us to the truth of God so that we walk in the will of God. Because our flesh is too weak to do it on its own. And the more we abide in this loving relationship with Christ, the more we are thankful for His provision, His guidance, His protection. That's why Paul says pray at all times with an attitude of of thanksgiving. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And we become increasingly convinced that what He says is true. We stay on alert with an attitude of prayer and a heart of thanksgiving. See, abiding in the Spirit with an attitude of prayer is what keeps us alert so that we view life from God's perspective. And this same attitude of prayer is what allows us to see open doors along the way. And let's see what Paul means by that. Turn to, uh, back to Colossians chapter 4 and read with me in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You see, when our heart is aligned through an attitude of prayer with the will of God, we are naturally inclined to pray for others and God's work in and through their lives. Paul says, pray for us that doors may be open for us to share the message of Christ. Now, practically speaking, we know that this prayer is important because as Paul even mentions in this verse, he's imprisoned. So he can't go open any doors. He's imprisoned. The doors that will be open have to be opened for him, come to him so that he can speak to them. So very practically, those doors need to be opened. Because he can't do it himself. But I think more importantly, Paul understands the spiritual reality that God has to be the one who opens the heart, the door of a person's heart, before truth can enter in. We've talked about that before because we've looked at Ephesians that says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We can't see, we can't hear, we don't move. A door has to be opened. Because he tells us in Romans, no one seeks after God. Not even one. Apart from Christ, we don't even accept the things of God. He tells the Corinthians that they are foolishness to us. Even if we hear, we do not understand God's truth on our own because the Scripture tells us it must be spiritually discerned. He tells the Corinthians, no one calls Jesus Lord except how? By the Spirit. The Spirit has to be the one who opens the door so that truth can enter in. Paul understands this reality. And so he asks for the Colossians to pray for him. That he would see and be sensitive to where those doors are opening. For the message of Christ to be heard. And then he says in verse 4, In order that I may speak it clear in the way... That, excuse me, in order that I may know, that I may, 
Let me start over. In order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) He wants to speak with clarity, right? Just like me right now. But but here's the here's the point. I don't think what Paul is saying is, Lord, help me present the gospel message in a in a unique and in an enlightening way, something that's creative that boy just really grabs their attention. That's not what he's saying. That is not our goal, because the message of the gospel is not dependent upon the messenger to make it attractive. The message of the gospel is simple, and I know that's true because of what Paul tells the Corinthians. He says, he, t- he confesses to them, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquent speech and persuasive words of wisdom. Praise God for that message. He says, I came to tell you one thing. One thing. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I did that so that your faith rests not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of of God. You see, the clarity that, that Paul is asking for is the understanding of how God is working uniquely in a person's heart so that he can share how the gospel meets that need in their life. And we know this from our own experience. What has God often used in our life to get our attention? Maybe it's a failing marriage that's breaking your heart and you're turning to God to say, How's this supposed to work? Maybe it's an addictive disease in your life that is just truly ruining your life. And you're saying there's got to be another way. Maybe there's issues in family or just simply a lack of of purpose or meaning. What on earth am I here for? What is that need that provokes the desire to know something more than what you already know? Paul wants each person to understand That Jesus Christ meets their deepest need, no matter what that need may be. He says, pray for us. To be sensitive to where God is opening doors. So that we might speak boldly about the transforming truth of Jesus Christ in their lives. Pray for us to help us see, help people see that Jesus is the answer that they're looking for. And for us to know the door that he's opening so that they are sensitive to that truth. Live your life, Paul says, with an attitude of prayer so that you're always alert, seeing things from God's perspective, which will always include those doors that he is opening to speak the message of Christ into their life. And then finally he says, walking with this attitude of prayer in a way that changes how you live. Look at what he says in verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Now, if you read that verse, it's important to understand that there are two very clear assumptions that are being made in this verse. The first one is that it assumes that you are meaningfully engaged in the life of those who are outside of the church. Otherwise, this verse has no relevance. Conduct yourselves with the wisdom toward outsiders. The assumption is you are engaging meaningfully in the lives of those outside the church. Because you see, following Christ means that he's going to lead you to the places that he would naturally go. 
And so when you look at the life of Christ and you read the Gospels, where is he at? In fact, we know where he's at because it was the disciples and others around him who said, why is Jesus spending time with sinners and tax collectors? And what does he tell them? Those who are well have no need for a physician, but only those who are sick. And so Jesus wants those who have an answer involved in the lives of those who have a need. Conduct yourself with wisdom. The assumption is that you will go to those places where Jesus would go. The other assumption is that as you're involved in the lives of people who are outside of the church, that opportunities will come. It's inevitable. It's a promise. It is a guarantee it will happen. Because he says, when those opportunities come, making the most of each one of them. That idea of making the most brings with it to, it literally means to buy up, to exhaust all available opportunities. This is like a, a good Christmas sale, right? Get them while supplies last. It's that same idea. The opportunities are going to be there. Make the most of each and every one of them. When you're walking in the Spirit with an attitude of prayer, God will lead you to opportunities that He has created beforehand so that you may share the hope that is within you. It is a promise. Have the wisdom to anticipate those opportunities so that you're ready when they come. And just think about that in your own life. So let's just say Christmas is coming, family's going to be coming in town, right? And so you know they're coming, and a lot of times you don't know exactly when they're going to arrive. But one of the things you do when you know you're going to have visitors, you get your house in order, right? <laughs> if this is my house, I tell my oldest son, Graham, make sure your underwear is not in the floor of the bathroom, like it usually is. <laughs> I'll tell Grant, make sure you don't have your socks on the kitchen table, right? And I'm going to go through and make sure that I don't have my shoes laid out in the living room floor somewhere. We anticipate people coming over, and when we do, we get our house in order so that when they come, they feel welcome. They feel at home. Well, the same is true in our walk with Christ. Paul is telling us that there's a promise. Opportunities will come. Make sure your life is in order so that what you have to say matches the testimony of how you live. Because notice that it's always a response. Look at verse 6. It says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. In other words, how we live or our conduct should elicit a question. Why is your life different? Why is your life different? How in the world can you stay married to the same person for over 60 years, Mr. and Mrs. Courtney? What is your secret? Well, there's an answer to that. And it's not the absence of difficult times, is it? Or trouble or or working through hard things. It is a dependence on the love and guidance of Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the secret. That's the message they tell. And we are to tell our story of God's transforming work in our lives. And when we do, he tells us to speak with grace. 
When I read that, what that means to me is to, to make sure that the, the response that we give to their question reflects the desire for them to come to know what we have found to be true. The grace that we want them to understand what we have come to know to be true. It tells us to, to season it with salt, to make it flavorful, to, to make it appetizing. And that doesn't mean you're going to make it some, something up or add fluff to it. What that means is you're going, to experience, you're going to speak out of your own personal experience. You have a story to tell. And you want to talk about how God has transformed your life so that you're not making this up. You're speaking from the reality of what you know to be true. And that's always the most appealing, appetizing story you have to share. Seasoned with salt. See, it's this attitude of prayer that allows us to walk in the experience of God's presence all throughout the day. Because prayer from from a biblical perspective is not intended to be a crisis hotline, but more of a daily walk in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this, I don't usually choose this method, but I think it's helpful in this case to, to use an acrostic to bring these things to mind at some point in the future. So if you would, take a piece of paper and write top to bottom, We'll use the word that Paul uses in verse 2, alert. A-L-E-R-T, alert. And alongside of the A, I want you to write, acknowledge his presence. Acknowledge his presence. You see, already in the letter to the Colossians, we've learned what Paul said when he said, uh, the mystery has been revealed, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reality is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit ever present within us. And I I think we need to grasp this idea perhaps more than, than any of the others. Because we often don't see Jesus as ever present in our life. And let me use an illustration to to bring this home. Uh, coach Bearden's here, has a he's a great coach, great success. Um, with Smyre and the girls' basketball team, been to several state championships. But let's say that, that, that Coach Bearden decided he's going to has a different change of philosophy and his coaching method. And so this is what you're going to do, Coach. You're going to tell your team, listen, here's the new plan from this point on. I'm going to still coach you and going to still walk through things with you, but I'm not going to leave the locker room. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit down as a team and I'm going to draw it out on the board. I'm going to tell you, here's what you need to do. Now go out there and practice. And the players are going to be expected to go out on the court and practice the things that they heard in the locker room, trying to remember what he said, but making things up as they go because they're learning on their own. And and even when game time comes, Coach Bearden's going to sit down with the locker room and say, okay, here's the team we're playing, this is what we're going to do. But he's not going to be on the court to make any of those adjustments based on what the other team's doing. It's up to the team to figure it out on their own. Okay, so let me ask you, how successful are the Smire Wildcats? Bobcats. I knew it was cats. How successful will they be with that kind of coaching philosophy? Not very successful. How many state championships do you think they're going to win? How many vote for zero? Yeah, it's not going to happen because that's not the way it works. But yet, why do we often leave Jesus in the locker room of our life? Where we sit down and maybe go over the playbook in the morning. 
But then we set it aside and carry on about our day and say, I've got it from here. You stay there. I'm going to take care of this one on my own. And we don't allow him to coach us, to walk through, to the spirit to guide us throughout the day because we've left him in the locker room expecting that to work in our life. It would be equally as foolish for Coach Bearden to expect to have a state championship team with the same philosophy. It won't work. We need to acknowledge his presence because the reality is he's with us. We don't leave him in the locker room. He is ever present within us. The question is, do you acknowledge his presence all throughout the day? And then secondly, the the L is, are you learning to listen to his voice? Listen to his voice. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Do you know his word? Do you understand what he has revealed? Do you understand who he is? So that as you're walking throughout your day, and you hear something, and you've read his word, it resonates. I know that's true. And in the same way, something comes up that just is just not right. That's his voice prompting you to say, this is true, this is false. Walk here, don't go there. Learn to listen for his voice. The E is expect him to show you the way. Expect him to show you the way. It's important for us to understand that the Christian life is not a game of hide and seek. God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself and his truths in our life. He says, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be answered. Ask and you shall receive. Does that sound to you like he's wanting to hide from you? No. Expect him to show you the way. But in order to do that, you're going to have to follow the next step. Reject the ways of the world. Reject the ways of the world. John says in one of his first letters, do not love the world or the things of the world. Very often, to accept what is true, we have to reject what is false. That's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You will love the one and and hate the other. You, You can't have both. We're doing a Bible study. Scott, I thought about this. I was preparing. You can't be a fan and a follower. Make a choice. Either be in the game, walking through life with Christ, or be honest that you're just going to sit and watch from the sideline. But you can't have both. To accept truth, you have to reject the ways of the world. And finally, take steps of faith. Follow him in obedience. Learn to trust. It's like the proverb says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Acknowledge his presence. Listen for his voice. Expect him to show you the way. Reject the world and take steps of faith. That's that attitude of prayer. And when we stay alert in this way, walking in that abiding relationship with Christ, I am convinced that he will lead us to places where doors will be open for us to speak of him. We need to know people well enough to know where those doors are. What's God doing in their life? I understand their individual needs to clearly communicate the answer to the hope that is within you. 
Now, Gentry Kennedy came up to me last week after church. Is Gentry here? Okay, Gentry, you asked me if I would teach on servanthood, right? Well, this is where that fits in. Because very often, uh, people want to see your, God's love in your life being evidenced towards them before they believe what you have to say about God's love, right? Very often, serving others is what wins us the right to be heard. You've heard this, this, the, the statement before, and I believe it's true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Very often, serving others is the way that God opens the door for us to speak truth into their lives. And when we live in anticipation of these opportunities, we naturally live life in a different way because we want our house in order to be prepared for the opportunities that we know are going to be coming. And we will lose our motivation when we leave Jesus in the locker room, when we isolate our communication with Him to our quiet time, and then don't understand the abiding presence of His Spirit within us all throughout the day. That's when we start believing lies, when we stop listening to His voice. Walk with Him throughout the day, calling to mind the words that He has spoken and revealed. Let His Spirit direct your life. Sing praise to God with a thankful heart. That should describe each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Cultivating a heart that is sensitive to God by living with an attitude of prayer. Staying alert so that we see things from God's perspective, including the opportunities that He will send us to speak of who He is, walking in humility and grace. That's my prayer for all of us. My mom sent me, I don't usually have my phone with me, but my mom sent me a uh, devotional this morning that fits perfectly with what we're talking about. I don't consider these things an accident, so I want to read it to you in closing with our prayer, and then we'll do our Advent devotional. If you'll just close your eyes and listen, I'm going to close with this. Says, be willing to go out on a limb with me. This is Jesus speaking. If that is where I'm leading you, it is the safest place to be. Your desire to live a risk-free life is a form of unbelief. Your longing to live close to me is at odds with your attempts to minimize risk. You are approaching a crossroads in your journey. In order to follow me wholeheartedly, you must relinquish your tendency to play it safe. Let me lead you. Here it is step by step through this day. If your primary focus is on me, you can walk along perilous paths without being afraid. Eventually, you'll learn to relax and and enjoy the adventure of our journey together as long as you stay close to me. My sovereign presence protects you wherever you go. As the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or he says in Psalm 9, those who know your name will trust in you. For you have never forsaken those who seek you. And as you tell us in the Gospel of John, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the ones who 
serve me. God, that's our desire. May we live mindful and aware of your presence throughout the day, staying alert in prayer, acknowledging your presence, listening for your voice, expecting you to to show us the way and rejecting the ways of the world in order that we may embrace your truth so that we can take steps of obedience and find you to be faithful, speaking of you winsomely to those who are around us, whose lives we are engaged in, enough to know what their need is so that we can tell them the answer. Jesus Christ. May we be that people each and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen.